0: You're listening to the Westminster Pulpit, an online ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at www.westpca.com. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. My aim this evening is simply to exalt... ...the greatness of Jesus Christ... ...for us to survey the cross... ...on which the Prince of Glory died... ...so that when you leave this evening... ...it's not just information in your head... ...that you have heard... ...but that your heart will be moved... ...that you will leave with greater devotion to your Savior... ...because you will see more clearly... ...what Christ has suffered... ...in your place... ...and you will love Him more nearly... ...and follow Him more nearly... But that is something that I cannot make happen. Charles Spurgeon said that this subject is worthy of an angel's tongue. It needs Christ himself to completely expound it. Would God he might by his own spirit expound it to your heart. And that's my prayer this evening. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Father we do ask that you would open our eyes. That we might be able to see your son our Savior, Jesus Christ, clearly tonight. May you turn our hearts towards him, that we would love him, that we would devote our lives to following him. May you work in a mighty way for the sake of your name. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen. My topic this evening is peace through the cross. And this is really a subject of Life and death. Now, some of you might think, well, I've I've heard about this before. Or some of you might be thinking, you don't really believe that, that it's a matter of life and death. And certainly our world does not believe that it's a matter of life and death. Why do I need peace through the cross? I'm good enough on my own. I don't need a savior. Sure, I might sin a little bit here and there, but certainly not anything that God would condemn me to hell for... But the testimony of God's Word, of His Son, Jesus Christ, and of the cross, says something very different. The cross shouts out to us that this is a matter of life and death. The cross shouts out to us that we do need a Savior. The cross shouts out to us, as Tim Keller says, that we are far worse than we ever dared imagine. And at the same time, far more love than we ever dared hope. Do you believe that tonight? Or have you been deceived? Do you have an inflated view of your own goodness and a faulty view of the holiness of God? John Bunyan understood our hopeless condition, the extent of our sin. He said, the best prayer I ever prayed had enough sin in it. ...to condemn the whole world. David Wells understands that he writes in his book... ...The Courage to be Protestant... ...the majesty of God's forgiveness is lost entirely... ...when we lose what has to be forgiven. What has to be forgiven is not just what we do... ...but who we are. Not just our sinning... ...but our sinfulness. Not just our choices... ...but what we have chosen in place of God... We need peace through the cross because we are at war with God. We're at war with the God who has made us. We are opposed to him. We have rebelled against his way and his rule over our lives. And in his perfect holiness, he has no choice but to be opposed to us in our sin. And yet, when we open God's word, we see that peace through the cross is possible. And what I want to focus on tonight is simply this. What does through the cross mean? How is this peace with God made possible? See, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, we read that we have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That we have been reconciled to God through the cross, verse 16 says. The blood of Christ shed on the cross is referring to the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus dying in our place. So I want to reflect for a moment on what happened at the cross. How peace with God is made possible for those who will believe on Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. Notice, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing the hour of his crucifixion. When you read those accounts, in the Gospel of Mark, we're told that his soul was was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And that when he prayed, he threw himself on the ground, face down to the ground, rather than stand or kneel during his prayer. In Luke, we're told that as he prayed, he was in agony, and his sweat was like drops of blood. That word agony has an image of intense ...pain or an intense struggle. And when you read those accounts, you can't help but wonder why. Why is Jesus reacting like this all throughout his life? He's been opposed his whole life, but he's never shown fear or sorrow or agony in this way. So why now? Why is Jesus in agony? And the reason that he's in agony is because he has come to the point... ...where he is about to suffer hell for you and for me... He's going to suffer the wrath of God. Jesus Christ, who had always done what pleased the Father, is about to be punished for our sin. For people who never did what pleased the Father. You know, I don't think we can even begin to comprehend how awful the wrath of God is. Or how much Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf. You now, one of my worst fears is to be buried alive. You know, maybe, maybe this fear came from when I was a kid. I grew up in Michigan, and there's a lot more snow in Michigan. And I can remember a time when we built one of those snow tunnels. You know how you can crawl through from one end to the other. And I was crawling through it, and my loving older brother closed in both ends. And so maybe it came from that experience that I had. But I cannot imagine how horrible it would be to be buried alive. But when you read in Revelation chapter 6... ...people are thinking about the wrath of God being poured out on them. And how do they react? They cry out to the mountains and the rocks to fall upon them. They would rather be buried alive than face the wrath of God. Hell is described as eternal punishment. As everlasting destruction. As being shut out from the presence of the Lord... And perhaps it's that aspect of hell that causes Christ the most agony. He faces abandonment. The Father will turn his face away. He who has experienced perfect fellowship with the Father, unbroken fellowship from all eternity, will now be utterly alone. And he will not just be alone, but he will be cast out. And that's why Jesus cries out with a loud voice on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus, in that moment, is experiencing hell for us. He's experiencing hell for you and for me. And he doesn't just feel forsaken. He is forsaken. This cry is what R.C. Sproul calls the scream of the damned. He says, this cry represents the most agonizing protest ever uttered on this planet. It bursts forth in a moment of unparalleled pain. It is the scream of the damned for us. Through the cross, Jesus is receiving what you and I should be receiving. His Father's full and furious wrath. He's experiencing what every other human being in history deserves and what he alone does not deserve. He's taking upon himself... The sin of his people. Your sin. He is actually being numbered with the transgressors. Think of that. Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God... ...is being counted among the sinners. First Peter tells us that he bore in his body our sins on the tree. But what does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus Christ bore in himself our sins? That he was counted among the sinners you may have heard this before you may know this in your head in fact this is something that if you grow up in the church you learn it from your childhood children can say it easily jesus died on the cross for my sins and these words fall off our lips as easy as telling somebody what we got for our birthday or what the weather is like but do you realize what that means has it affected your heart has it moved your affections? Have you pondered what it means that Jesus Christ was punished for your sin? John Stott says, until you see the cross as that which is done by you, you will never appreciate that it was done for you. And yes, we know two weeks ago, Dr. Rogers talked about why the cross was necessary and ultimately the cross happened because God planned it, because he ordained it. But the, all, the Bible also teaches that we are responsible for it. And so you must see that it is your sin that made the cross necessary. It is your sin that required what is happening at the cross. And you must see your sin put on the Savior. My aim here is to help you feel the weight of your sin. To help you feel the weight of what Christ has borne for you. And thus to help you better grasp the amazing love of the Savior. So that you may see him as precious. And that you may trust in his work. And so let me, help, let me try to help you do that. And I'll turn to perhaps maybe an unlikely source for most of you. And you may think this is too graphic. But I believe it is necessary for you to stop and consider what Christ has suffered for you, and I'm going to turn to Shai Lin. He's a hip hop artist. I'm sure most of you were listening to that song this, this morning. But he's a hip hop artist who loves Jesus Christ and whose, God, whose lyrics reflect the gospel. And he has a song called The Cross, and the second verse focuses on this thought What sin was Christ bearing on the cross? He says these words. Speaking of Christ, willingly He's under the curse to be treated as if the Son was the worst scum of the earth. The scene is the craziest. Jesus being treated as if He is the shadiest atheist. How is it the Messiah is in the fiery pit? As if He was a wicked liar with twisted desires. The one who's sinless and just, punished. As if He was promiscuous and mischievous with vicious lust. The source of all godly pleasure tormented as if he was a foul investor or child molester. How could he be bruised like he was a goody two-shoes who doesn't think he needs the good news? He's perfect in love and wisdom, but he's suffering as if he constructed the corrupt justice system. We should mourn at the backdrop. Jesus torn like he's on the corner with crack rock with porn on his laptop. What is this? His gifts are infinite, but he's hit with licks for religious hypocrites. He's the light, but he's being treated like he's the seedy type who likes to beat his wife. He's treated like a rapist, treated like a slanderer, treated like a racist or maybe a philanderer. Jesus is being penalized like he had sin inside, filled with inner pride while committing genocide. I could write for a billion years, and I still can't name all the sins on the Lamb slain. At what point, when you think about that, at what point do you not cry out, stop, don't let it be. And yet you realize if you do that, you will be lost in your sin for eternity, for there is no other way that you can experience peace. And know this, if it had been only your sins... If it had been only your sins that were laid on Christ, his suffering would have been more than any sinner ever will suffer in hell. More than any person ever will suffer on this earth. Infinitely more. We must realize that it was our sin. That it was your sin. That it was my sin. That Jesus was dying for on the cross. John Stott says every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to be saying to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing. Your curse I am suffering. Your debt I am paying. Your death I am dying. Martin Luther said this, Take this to heart and doubt not that you are the one who killed Christ. Your sins certainly did And when you see the nails driven through his hands, be sure that you are pounding. And when the thorns pierce his brow, know that they are your evil thoughts. Consider that if one thorn pierced Christ, you deserve 100,000. Words from some hymns. "'Twas I that shed that sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery." What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression. But thine, the deadly pain. Peace through the cross means that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was taking the full wrath of God for you and for me. No one has suffered like this. No one, no one will ever suffer like this. He's the only one who never deserved to suffer. And he's suffering for you, sinner, for you. Do you believe it? Do you feel it? Does it not move your heart? Does it not bind your heart to him? May you never say those words the same again. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin... What? How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That you, through his poverty, may become rich. Listen. Listen, this is why gazing at the cross will bind your heart to Jesus. This is why peace with God is only made possible through the cross. This is how John MacArthur summarizes 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin ever committed by every person who would ever believe. Though in fact, he never committed a single one. Hanging on the cross, Jesus Christ was holy, harmless, undefiled. He was a spotless lamb, never for a split second a sinner. He is holy God on the cross, but God is treating him as if he lived my life. He's treating him as if he lived your life. God punished Jesus for your sin, and he turns right around and treats you as if you had lived. Jesus' life, when God looks at the cross, he sees you. When he looks at you, he sees Christ, the risen Christ, resurrected in power, in victory over sin and death, perfect in righteousness. Do we have a word in any language that can describe how great, how glorious, how wonderful, how incredible, how good this is? ...for us. And this is what peace through the cross is. is a change in our relationship with God. Verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 2... ...tells us that God's purpose was to reconcile us to himself... ...through the cross. To reconcile us to be made right with God. Our relationship with God... ...is in a sense resurrected. We were dead in our sin... ...but now we are alive in Christ. We were enemies with God... ...but now we are His children. No longer does God treat us as sinners... ...but He treats us as sons and daughters. The only way... ...that I can have a right relationship with God... ...is because through the cross... ...Jesus Christ had a cursed... ...relationship... ...with His Father... Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Before the cross, we had the presence of sin in our lives. The penalty of sin upon us. The absence of righteousness. We were at war with God. He was opposed to us. But now, through the cross, our sin has been taken away. And we are counted righteous in Christ. Thus, we have a changed relationship ...with God. We've been taken out of hostility... ...into friendship... ...out of wrath... ...into fullness of love... ...out of condemnation... ...into justification. Romans 5 says... ...therefore since we have been justified... ...through faith... ...we have peace with God. Romans 8 says... ...there is therefore now no condemnation... ...to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is peace... ...through the cross... Peace through the cross means this. All I receive from God is love and blessing and grace. Because of the blood of Christ through the cross, I will never receive wrath, judgment, or curse. Though that is what I deserve. But Christ has taken it all for me. I have been pardoned. I've been forgiven of my sin. I've been adopted into God's family. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Ephesians 2 later on in verse 19 will say that we are fellow citizens with God's people. We are members of God's household. As members of God's family, we now have access to God. In verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace. Jesus Christ suffered a moment without God. So that you and I could enjoy an eternity with God. Because Jesus Christ was abandoned. We will never be abandoned. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He will never leave us or forsake us. Though he ought to. Though that is what we deserve. Though that is what we have earned. Though we turn our back on him time and time again. And though you and I do evil. And the Bible says that the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But God has turned his face against his son in our place. In dealing with our sins, it's been done, it's finished. And now his face is ever turned towards us. So now the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ear is attentive to our cry. This is amazing. We get to be with him. ...instead of shut out from his presence. Perhaps it would help you understand... ...if we did a little compare and contrast. Listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians... ...speaking of what every person ever born deserves. God will punish those who do not know him... ...and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction... And shut out from the presence of the Lord. That's what we deserve. And that is what Christ suffered for us. Because of our sin. And because he did listen to what we receive. Instead, Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Revelation 22. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve them. They will see his face. Ultimately... What we receive is God himself. To know God and enjoy fellowship with him. And this, the opposite of that, is, is ultimately the horror of hell. The absence of God. This is, it is crushing to think about what that means. When you think of your neighbors, your family members, your friends, people you go to school with people you work with, people here with us tonight, when you think of an eternity shut out from the presence of God, it is crushing to realize what that is. And I don't think we can even comprehend what that means, but this is at least some of what it means. It means that this life, this fallen sinful world that we live in, with all its sorrows and sufferings, and pain, and sickness. This life is the closest thing to heaven that those apart from Christ will ever experience. Because at least in this life, they experience the common grace of God. But if you die in your sin, you'll be shut out from the presence of the Lord forever. You know, the greatest... Tragedy tonight would be for you to reject the Savior when the doorway to peace with God has been opened to you. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and you have heard the good news of Jesus Christ tonight. Do not harden your heart. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Are you reconciled to God tonight? What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in for your peace with God? Are you trusting in your good works? Are you trusting in your church attendance? Who comes to hear preaching on a Wednesday night? Are you trusting in your church membership? Young people, are you trusting in the fact that you made it through an interview with the elders? If you're trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ... ...then you are still in your sins... ...and the awful wrath of God remains on you. And I would say, if that is your condition tonight... ...run to the cross... ...and stay there and linger there... ...until you are sure that your sins... Are upon the Savior. And you bear them no more. Who is bearing your sin tonight? There's only two possibilities. It's either Jesus Christ or it's you. Who is bearing your sin tonight? Beloved, do not. Keep your sin on yourself. Christ at the cross. Is willing and ready to bear them. You will turn to him. Oh, beloved, what if you have already done that? What if Christ has borne your sin? Then how do you respond? You rejoice. Because Jesus screamed the scream of the damned so you can sing the song of the redeemed. And my question is, what if we, what if we, who have been rescued by Jesus Christ, what if we could grasp what peace through the cross really means? What if we grasp what Christ suffered for us on the cross and how he has transformed our relationship? What if we had a deeper understanding of that? What would be the result? I believe we would be moved. I believe we would cherish Christ. I believe he would be precious to us we would no longer live for ourselves but we would live for him who loved us and gave himself for us who died for us and rose again words of affection for Christ would not cling to our throats like a foreign language we would not sing with blank faces or unmoved hearts or worries about the style of music And I mean that both ways, whether we're led by the organ or the piano or the guitar, we wouldn't care. We would just be thankful that we can sing the song of the redeemed. And we realize that it's the greatest thing in all the world to be saved. Businessmen would not fear to speak the name of Christ. Teenagers, you would not blush to sing his praise. You would not care at all what the person standing next to you thinks Because you would just sing the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And none of us would continue to chase after counterfeit pleasures that end in death. Why would we? When Christ is set before us, our lives would be transformed. And this realization would show up in our affections, in our lives, our words... And are singing. May those of you who have ears to hear. Hear the word of God this evening. And may you believe on Christ. As the son of God and savior of sinners. And may those of us who have voices to sing. May we praise and worship and honor and glorify the savior. The one who loved us and gave himself for us. And may we sing his praises with our lips and our lives as we never have before. Amen and amen. Let's pray. O oh, Jesus Christ, you are a greater Savior than we will ever know. We thank you that one day, we who deserve the wrath of God, instead will receive a rich welcome into your eternal kingdom. We long for that day and we long for every person here to be able to look forward to that day with joy. We ask, O oh God, that you would apply the work of redemption to every heart here and that you would receive our worship and our praise at this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.